All right, all right, all right. Um, man, I love, I love being together with you guys. I've loved being together um, this week with you, and I've, man, I've especially loved the theme of lasting in leadership. Um, I've been so helped uh, by this. I've taken lots of notes. Um, my, my hope and my charge to us is that this isn't a conference title, but a battle cry. Um, we need lots and lots more leaders, but man, we need leaders to last longer. Um, and so I, I am so thankful for all the ways that we see reproducing leaders, you know, ha- happening all the time. It's amazing. But man, we, we don't want to just keep producing leaders because we're burning everybody else out and everyone else is shipwrecking. We, we want to last longer. So um, as we look to close, I want to talk a little bit about the context that we find ourselves um, leading in. The, the title is um, uh, leading, uh, Lasting in Leadership in, in a Hurting World. Um, the reality is that ministry is harder than we think it's going to be at the beginning. Um, you know, we kind of start off, put me in coach, I'm ready to play. Uh, those of us in ministry probably spend a lot of time, if we're honest, uh, on the bench thinking I could preach better than that, I could lead better than that, I could sing better than that, what's wrong with them, put me in. Um, and uh, we're, we're very quick to get in there. We forget, uh, as full of naivete and, and excitement as we, is, we, as we are, we forget um, how Paul described ministry at one point. He said in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9, we do not want you to be ignorant of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We are so utterly burdened beyond our strength, we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Who's ready to lead a small group, right? Um, that's not a verse we usually tell people about. We hide that kind of stuff. We let them find it out for themselves. Um, we've heard a lot about lasting and leadership, but I want us, as we, as we look to close um, this morning, to talk about how we last in a hurting world. The moment you and I decide that we want to do more than pull off a good meeting, pull off a good meal at community group, you know, no one destroyed the toilet too bad. Pull off a good Sunday morning. Pull off a good Wednesday night. The, the moment we decide we want to do more than that, that we actually want to get to know people. We actually want to get into their lives. We find ourselves almost drowning in waves of pain and sorrow and shame and sin and grief. This is not the way the world was made originally. Death and sorrow wasn't a part of the original design. Rejection of God and his will were not always normal. We know this because these were things in Jesus' short time of ministry on earth that made him weep. The creator of the world wept at a funeral. And he wept over a city that rejected him. And Jesus didn't try to run away from hard things. He, thank God, ran to them. He was moved with compassion which means more than Jesus was nice. That word compassion is a combination of two words. It means to enter willingly into suffering. Jesus willingly entered into the suffering of others. He saw suffering and he wanted in. If you follow the ministry of Jesus, you see nonstop barrage of endless, painful interruptions. Every time Jesus seemed to try to do anything, someone interrupted him. It was always stuff like, my little girl's dead. It was always stuff like a woman with a chronic, embarrassing, and debilitating disease. It was always stuff like a a naked, possessed man, self-harming and unfixable. This was day-to-day life for Jesus, the one who said, follow me. The world we minister in today is full of brokenness, 
people everywhere are suffering and hurting, and we keep getting surprised when people like Anthony Bourdain take their life. We keep getting surprised when people who make everyone laugh, like Robin Williams, take their life. As Ian McLaren said, be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. But the culture we live in says pretend, hide, suck it up. And we, a lot of us, have grown up in a, a, a culture, church culture, where we bring that pretending into the church and we build a, a smiling while you hurt culture that, that promotes long-term damage. And I've loved how we got real right away because this is the, one of the easiest places to fake it. Come in, you walk strong, chest out, head up, things are great, lie about how many people come Sunday, lie about how much money you got, just lie, 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 and then go home and deal with the reality. We brought that into our churches, and it does long-term damage. I've spent a lot of energy over the last, um, gosh, since February. Um, I've, I've became the chaplain for our, our fire department and our paramedic department, and now I'm doing a lot with the police department and so on and so on. And um, how this worked was a great, it's a classic setup. Our fire chief who goes to our church, um, just a big, handsome firefighter with an awesome mustache, you know, invited me to lunch, and I felt so cool. I'm going to lunch with the fire chief. The little boy in me was, like, excited. You know, I hoped he'd give me a little plastic helmet, you know, and um, let me sit in the engine or something. Um, and uh, then he, he just begins to talk about how much he's seen us love and serve and love and serve. And I was like, well, this is great. The fire chief thinks I'm cool. And uh, then he says, Donnie, would you be our chaplain? And um, I'm sure that he meant something, but what I saw was, me in uniform, barging into homes, burning, pulling out women and children, fighting fires, and preaching at the same time. I mean, it was <laughs> glorious. And um, he did promise me, you know, uh, perks. You know, there, there, there was talk of a helmet and a talk of a uniform I've yet to see. Um, but uh, basically all I had to do was come to a dinner once a month at the fire department and uh, once every couple of months, he said, we might have a really bad fire, and gosh, it'd be great if you came down and gave the boys some water. I was like, let me pray about it. Went back, told Jill, I'm going to be a firefighter. <laughs> told my kids, daddy's going to be a firefighter. My kids took off running. Jed went out, running out of the house, screaming across the neighborhood that his dad was a firefighter. <laughs> Nothing I've done up to now compared in his mind. I had reached the climax of all of life, right? And um, two days later, I hadn't even met the firefighters yet. Two days later, it's 5.30 in the morning, and I get a phone call. Uh, chief said, we, we got a bad one. Um, could you come down here? It was a fatal fire. First time I've ever seen um, a body burned. Um, I didn't know it was a body. That's how bad it was burned. They had to point to me. I thought it was a, a piece of furniture. And um, the chaplain he had before had been a chaplain for six years and never gone to one call. Didn't even show up to have his picture taken in the book. Literally, it says his name. It says not pictured. And I found myself, we had um, six or seven fires in two weeks. Overdose after overdose after overdose. Dead babies. 
a dad who shot himself. And I had to tell his kids that their dad was dead. And then there's the actual first responders and spending lots and lots and lots of time with them and realizing they are a mess. 2017, more first responders committed suicide than died in the line of duty. Our church hosted a appreciation dinner for first responders this last Sunday night. If you're looking for a very easy missional idea, feed first responders and tell them you care about them. These guys see more stuff on a daily basis than most of us see in a lifetime. And I've learned that PTSD is a real thing. It does not just happen to people who are weak. It happens to anybody. That's because you and I were made with more than a head and a set of hands. We are not robots. We have hearts. We have souls. We feel. We love. And I can't help, as I've watched these guys and what they've experienced, and I've been to so many calls, 1230 in the morning, overdose call, going and pulling a dad off of his overdose son. He's doing chest compressions. I can't help but think about what ministry feels like sometimes. And folks, the stuff that we see as we sit in people's mess does, does have the ability to affect us. And like naive young firefighters, I think a lot of us barged into ministry thinking we could hear all the junk going on in people's lives and hear all the junk going on in people's marriages and sit with families. We've lost babies and somehow come out unscathed. And that is arrogance and that is ignorance. And that will not lead to us lasting because this world that we find ourselves in is hurting. They say now in our area, because of the fentanyl-laced heroin overdoses and suicides, that they reckon first responders might, might be lucky to get 10 years out of a career that used to be a lifetime. They just can't take seeing the volume that they're seeing. We see a lot of volume. Those of us who want to be missional see a lot of volume. Sounds great. We're going to be missional. We're going to push back darkness. Guess what? Darkness is dark. Encountering stuff is traumatic. I've learned a few things about trauma I didn't know. It can be both acute. It can be chronic. Both of them matter. It's chronic in the sense that it adds up. Little by little by little. Maybe that first one didn't hurt you. The second one didn't hurt you. The third one, but all of a sudden, oh my gosh, I'm struggling. It adds up. It's why we're so for cultures of rest. It's why we're so for sabbaticals. This stuff adds up over time. It can be acute in the sense that like, it just, some event happened and you're like, I've experienced that. I've helped couples like with that a hundred different times. I've prayed for things a hundred different times, but, but that one got you. It's not explainable. There's a couple of calls that really got me. There's a whole lot of stuff that I would have told you would have messed me up that didn't. I don't understand that. That's the same way in ministry. It's not all explainable. And comparing is not healthy. Things that bothered me didn't bother others. Things that bothered them didn't bother me. Comparing those two is not helpful. I am spending a lot of time trying to tear down pretending and comparing cultures with the first responders in our community. Pretending that we're a bunch of robots, comparing ourselves to others. I'm trying to institute mandatory check-ins after really hard calls. Baby dies, we're talking about it. How are you doing? 
Are you sleeping? How much are you drinking? Are you thinking of hurting yourself? Are you thinking of hurting others? Now, I tell you all this because as I've sought to try to help them, I've realized how similar our bad cultures can be and how similar the amount of trauma can be. They've got this 1970s firefighters don't cry bull crap. We've got our own bull crap. Faith means we don't ever hurt. Maturity is keep, take a licking and keep on ticking. We build cultures that are running too fast to take space to vent, lament, or weep. We put our heads down and we push on to the next thing. And like many firefighters, many of us are on the verge of burnout, blowing up, or just riding off into the sunset to disappear. I wonder how many of us have fantasy jobs. I got one, mowing grass. <laughs> I don't tell that in our church because people mow grass in our church and th they would be insulted by that. But in my mind, that grass is a lot easier to deal with. Nice cut straight line, smells good. I mean, I'm not weed eating. We'll get someone else to do that. But <laughs> I thought about trying to, how to help fire. How do I help firefighters last longer and I think to myself, what would it look for us to minister in a suffering and hurting world in a more sustainable way? How could all of us make it out? It makes me think of the letter, First Peter, First Peter, uh, or, or he writes to the Christians living in Roman-controlled Gentile land, suffering hostility and various forms of persecution. He writes to them, instructing them to endure hardships and persecutions. And I want to read to us First Peter chapter 4, and I want us to try to see what are some of the things we can learn last in a hurting world that we find ourselves in. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Since th therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality and passions and drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties and lawless idolatry, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join with them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though, that, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Jesus Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer as, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. It's an incredible chapter. We won't get through all of it in the amount of time we have, but I do hope that I can 
pull out some gems here that will help us to lead in a lasting way in a suffering and hurting world. Uh, The first thing I think we see here is that we can last. We last in leadership by not being surprised by suffering. How does it start? Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. Imagine going to a firefighter academy and getting trained and getting excited and then being shocked when an actual fire broke out. No one told me that this was part of the job, right? Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. Christians, little Christ, are surprised by suffering. We build theologies to keep us away, keep it away from us. Beloved, do not be surprised. As though something strange were happening to you. We're like a boxer surprised we got hit. Why'd you do that? Am I bleeding? Am I bleeding? Yes, we're boxing. That's what happens. Somehow we thought we'd avoid it. Since therefore Christ suffered. Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. Rejection, disappointment, betrayal. Christ suffered. You and I, we experience these things and we feel these feelings and we think, what's going wrong? Someone do a session on how I don't get disappointed anymore. Someone, someone write a book on, on how I don't ever get betrayed again. Share in Christ's sufferings. Don't run away from it. Share in it. Okay, so share in it. But why rejoice in it? There's, there's multiple reasons. One, we identify with our Savior. When we suffer, we're, man, you suffered in our place. Another thing that happens is we do serious damage to our, the, the, to our sin nature when we willingly allow ourselves to suffer. I love how the ESV study Bible puts it, talking about one of these tricky verses. More likely, Peter's point is that when believers are willing to suffer, the nerve center of sin is severed in their lives. Although believers will never totally be free from sin in this life, when believers endure suffering for the sake of Christ, they show that their purpose in life is not to live for their own pleasures, but according to the will of God and for his glory. One of the best ways to last in ministry in a hurting world is just to recognize that suffering is part of this journey. It's not up to you if you will suffer. It is up to you how you will suffer. Will you suffer well? The next thing I think we see is that we last in leadership in a hurting world by preparing ourselves for suffering. Hang on, Donnie, that sounds like the same thing. No, it's different. Not being surprised and being ready are two different things. They're two different things, right? Arm yourselves, verse 1, with the same way of thinking. Arm yourselves. What does it speak of? It's, it's equipping yourself. It's, it's preparing yourself. It's making yourself ready. It's not like, oh, I knew this was going to come. No, it's I knew this was going to come, and I've done something to ready myself for it. It's the opposite of being surprised. Later, he says, be sober-minded, which is to be vigilant. It's, it's the, the imagery is like someone who's on watch at night for, for an enemy that they know is coming. He, he picks it up later in, in 1 Peter 5 where he talks about this, 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 this devil, this, the lion that's, that's circling us. Stay awake. He's coming. He wants to kill you. I mean, this is the language of, of, being, of being ready for suffering. Now, I think about the folks we train in ministry and the folks that you probably train in ministry. We train people in ministry, but do we train them for suffering? Do we train them for being mistreated, being betrayed? We send them to plant a church. We taught them to preach. They get out. People start being divisive. They're like, I don't get it. 
I don't get it. In 2014, I did a sermon on do not be divisive. What's wrong with these people? <laughs> Go back and listen to the podcast. I done told you. Right? I was so caught off guard when people left our church. I subconsciously thought I could lead my way around that. What an arrogant piece of work I was. I didn't know that. I was shocked. I know you've heard this story before, but I was having lunch with this guy, uh, Larry Osborne, and um, I wanted to impress him because I'm a real simple guy, and um, I said something like, you know, hey, Larry, it was in front of a bunch of people that I wanted to impress. I said, <clears throat> how do I lead in such a way where people, hypothetically speaking, this had just happened, don't, you know, take a group of people with them, say a bunch of hurtful things about us, spread all kinds of rumors all over town, you know, and really hurt me. How do I lead in such a way that doesn't happen? And he, he, um, he turned to the other person who had arranged the lunch, who I really wanted to impress, and said, as though I was not in the room, I did not know we were having lunch with God, which... <laughs> I took to be a bad thing. And he carries on speaking to this person as if I'm not in the room. And he says, because um, this guy thinks he gets to know the end from the beginning. And only God gets to do that. That was a, man, that was hard, man. I ain't gonna lie. That one was rough. Prepare yourself. Don't just endure. Prepare yourself. Get yourself ready. Get yourself ready to feel mistreated. Get yourself ready to feel sad. Get yourself ready to feel abandoned. Get yourself ready to feel overwhelmed. Prepare yourself. What am I going to do when that happens? It's going to happen. Jesus wasn't surprised. I love that picture in John 18 when they come to arrest Jesus and it says, Verse 4, Jesus, knowing all that would happen, came forward. He wasn't like, is this a tailgate party? Is there chicken involved? Like, lights? What's, you guys want to do what to me? No, he, he knew all that was going to happen to him. And he told his disciples, you get ready. What does he say in John 16, 33? I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, folks, if you don't know it, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. Guess what else? In the church, you're going to have tribulation. Guess what else? In ministry and leadership, you're going to have tribulation. Guess what else? And everywhere you look, you're going to have tribulation. That means those are not places for you to take heart. If you take heart in your church or in ministry, you will be seriously injured. You are not to take heart there. I am not to take heart there. We will have tribulation there. They are not safe places to take heart. In me, you have peace. Not in some certain role, in some certain church, in some... No, in me, Jesus said. We last in a leadership in a hurting world by avoiding worthless springs that promise relief but only leave us more thirsty. They don't deliver. I think this is some of what he's getting at when he's speaking in verses 1 through 3 about drunkenness and orgies and idolatry, and these are just worthless springs. You used to drink from these things. They're, they're, you were so thirsty. Jesus is satisfied. You don't go back there. A lot of the first responders I know are addicted to 
excessive drinking, numbing, trying to numb this feeling. I sit with people who've been doing this for 10, 20 years, drinking to fall asleep. We get addicted to stupid stuff too. Innate in us is this temptation to look elsewhere for relief when we suffer. The things that promise to do what only God can do and never deliver. Where do you take your emotions and your fears and your anxiety and your pain? Where do you go when you're thirsty? When your soul's thirsty? We don't have a choice of whether we will feel deeply. We will. We don't have a choice of whether we'll suffer. We will. We have a choice of where we will go with all of that thirst. Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. I will give your soul rest. That's not just a verse for altar calls. It's not just people who aren't yet Christians who need to come to Jesus. He's going to be here to give you rest for your souls. No, come to Jesus. He wants to give us rest for our souls. I love what it says there. Jesus says, come to me. And he says, learn from me. I think I've been really good at telling people to come to him, and I've been really bad at learning from him. We're bad at learning. How do I take my soul to him? Another thing is we, we last in a, in a hurting world by relying on the power of the Spirit. This is all over the place. I think we see, um, what prompts me to think about that is in verse 7, Peter says that we're to be self-controlled. Now, if you've ever been in a traumatic situation, self-control is not, the, is not a natural feeling. Normally, that's what goes out the window. You have to be, something has to help you get to that place. And in the scripture, we learn that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, right? And, and this speaks to all, the, all, this, all of our need for the Holy Spirit. If, if we're going to be in ministry and last in a hurting world, we need, we need the power of the Spirit. We need Him to, to equip us, to empower us, to teach us how to be self-controlled. Otherwise, we might end up beat up and naked. Um, Acts 19 Seven Sons of Sceva, we won't read that. You've probably read it before. No doubt I always thought it was a really funny story. Can you imagine what it must have been like to come out of that house naked on the ground? Kind of. I can kind of imagine that. I have um, more than once barged into darkness with bravado. Not with the power of the Spirit. And the result has been basically the same. Failure and embarrassment. I mean, it's easy to pick on these guys, but at least they'd try to do something. Could have been at home watching Netflix. They try to do something. They just try to do it in their own strength. It's not a story to laugh at. It's a story to sober us to the core. This is you and I, every time we barge into darkness in our own strength. You may not be visibly beat up. You may not be visibly naked. But I've limped out, tail between my legs. Assessing over and over again what went wrong, only to realize I did it again. I put my hope in my experience and my gifting in our church and whatever. Walked in like, I got this. You don't got this. You're never going to be at that place. I don't care how big your church gets. I don't care how much experience you get. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. Next, we, um, we last in the context 
of a transparent community. We last within the context of a transparent community. We like to say at One Harbor that lone rangers are dead rangers and lone rangers are dangerous rangers. You don't get yourself killed, you get yourself killed and everybody else killed. A big win for me this year has been some occasions where the fire department had, I've heard that, that different crews at different stations have gotten together and they've gotten honest. Man, that call got me and their tears streaming down their face. Man, I'm going through a lot at home. Tears streaming. It's like mind-blowing to them that they can do this. They sleep together, eat together, run into burning houses together, but they can't be honest with each other. Gosh, that feels like church sometimes. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to compete with one another. No, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Love earnestly. Use your gifts to serve each other. This is not a culture of competing. It's not a culture of pretending. It's a culture where we check in frequently. Hey, man, that was a tough call you just went on. We need to talk about it. How are you doing? How are you sleeping? What are you thinking about? Are you thinking about hurting yourself? Are you, are you drinking a lot? What are you doing? Checking in because we care about each other. Weeping with those who weep. Not just quoting Bible verses at them. Grieving with them, lamenting with them, sitting and weeping with them. Here's a, here's a great one. Tell the people around you that you want to grow old doing ministry with them. I, I want to grow old doing ministry with Alan and Rennell Frell. I, I want that. And Brian and Rachel Barr, and PJ and Ashley Smythe, and so on and so on. I want to grow old doing ministry with you guys. A friend of mine, Josh Curry, wrote that on a card to me one time, and it just wrecked me, man. He's like, I just want to, he's like, I want to grow old, making much of Jesus together. And I was like, I'd never considered that. I'd never considered making it. Man, we need to deposit that seed of hope and faith in each other and then water it. Intend it. It's not just within our local churches. It's beyond the local church. Our hope as a movement is that, that we have these great relationships with other churches and that you have that at home too. It better not just be here. You need that back home. Transparent community there, transparent community here. Both are essential and both have to be fought for. It's not always easy, folks. A lot of laughs from the front here. Sometimes a little bit of this number right here. Guess what? Brian's not the only jerk in the room. He's got two thumbs and also does that. This guy, right? We had to work some of this out this week. It wasn't pretty. We got through it. We have to fight for this stuff. almost done. We last in a hurting world by entrusting our soul to a faithful creator. I am gun shy 
was suffering after almost 10 years of a lot of it. I get anxious when I get emails and texts from certain people. When I see certain people want to meet with me, I get anxiety about it. I don't like getting hurt or mistreated. I want to avoid it. I'm overwhelmed quite often by the amount of pain I hear and see. Sometimes it's hard for me to sleep. Sometimes I want to quit. Sometimes I think I can't do this. I didn't sign up for this. Sometimes I think this is more than I can handle. If any of that sounds like you, you know what we need to do? Entrust our souls to a faithful creator. Therefore, let us who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. Now, let's just be honest. It feels like an odd thing to say. Why didn't Peter say, let those of us who suffer entrust our souls to a good, good father? Right? There's even a song about it. It'd be so great if he said that, right? Why didn't Peter say, let those of us who suffer entrust their souls to a, a savior who suffered too? If he could have said those things, it'd be biblically accurate, all would be fine. Why did he say, let those of us who suffer entrust our souls to a faithful creator? What does that take us to? Where, where does this even come from? This comes right back to the garden. And what happens in the garden? It's where the first lie was ever told and fully believed. The lie in the garden was, you can't trust that creator. He made all this, but you can't trust him. He got you this far, but you can't trust him. And it's not just that Adam and Eve who needed to resist that lie. It's not just new believers, you know, young believers who need to learn how to resist that lie. It's all of us in ministry trying to last in a hurting world. We need to learn how to resist that first lie that was ever told and believed. We are tempted in ministry. And when it gets hard and when it gets tough and when we suffer to believe that lie that we can't trust him. He gave you new life, but you can't trust him. He called you here, but he's brought you here to die. You can't trust him. We are tempted to believe that. And Peter says, no. Peter, who'd known his share of suffering, no, you can trust him. He's a faithful creator. He rules the universe. Nothing happens outside of his will. Nothing happens beyond what you can bear. He's faithful. How can we know? Romans 8, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who? Who can be against us? This line, you could spend your whole life and never get it. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who was indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As written, for your sake, we, we are being killed all the day long. We, we are as regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am sure, I am certain, I am convinced 
neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation he's a faithful creator will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord I don't know what awaits me and I don't know what awaits you and I don't know what awaits our churches in this year I don't know what will happen in life between now and the next time we see each other maybe it'll be roses maybe it'll be tribulation what I know is because of the cross the thing that matters the most will not change we can trust him because he is a faithful creator and if he did not spare his own son but graciously gave him up for us all how will he not along with us with with jesus look after us provide for us care for us lastly we last in a hurting world just when you thought that i was going to make it through one sermon without mentioning mission could donnie really do it no he can't we last in a hurting world by continuing to do good. Verse 19 finishes the verse. We trust our souls to a faithful creator while doing good. It's not a throwaway phrase there, guys. You know, the enemy doesn't just want to stop us from trusting the creator. He wants to stop us from doing what we were created to do. He wants to sideline us and preoccupy us so that we don't just distrust God, we stop doing what God has put us here to do. The snake wants to keep you and me from doing good. And that's what they did, and it's what we must not do. Do not grow weary in doing good. We are not to build compounds for our souls, attempting to isolate ourselves from a life of possible suffering. It is impossible. We are on a broken planet, and God knows it, and he put us here. And this brokenness is everywhere. No, we are not to trust ourselves with our souls. We are to trust him with our souls. And we are to keep doing what he put us here to do. We last in a hurting world by drawing a line and saying, this is a non-negotiable. We're going to keep doing, I'm going to keep doing what Jesus has put me here to do. It's like what Brian said. We're going to have a healthy marriage and we are called to lead this church. I'm going to trust my soul to my creator, and I'm going to do what he put me here to do. As we look to close, the way that we want to do this is by taking communion. How how do we last in a hurting world full of suffering and pain? How do we last as leaders with all this trauma? How do we make it? How do we make it longer than, than, than we think we should? How do we do it? By remembering. You know what's funny about, about trauma and, and pain and suffering, for me anyway, is I, 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 I go into a call, a tough call, or, uh, be, be it a fire EMS call, or be it a, a church ministry call, and I'm, I'm instantly trying to figure out how long will it take for me to forget this and leave this behind? H- how, how long will it be before I can not dwell on this anymore? Because I think for me, healing from trauma, healing from suffering, healing from pain means forgetting. And maybe that's true. But what's interesting is that with Jesus, healing comes by remembering. We want to forget our suffering. He told us to remember his. We we don't want to dwell on, on hard stuff that we go through. He wants us to dwell on the hard stuff he went through. Do this in remembrance of me. Invites us in. See how I suffered. Came and said, look at my side, look at my hands. 
See how I suffered. Because it's in, in remembering and dwelling on his suffering that we find the one who, who, who meets us there. He weeps with us. He speaks truth to us. He heals us. He restores us. He knows what it's like to be hurt. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to be disappointed. And he says, come to me. Jesus didn't spend his existence signing ESV Bibles down at Lifeway. He was full. His life was full. Man of sorrows, full of suffering. He didn't put us in a room together so we could act like Everything's rosy and fine. He says, my grace is sufficient. Come to me. All who are weary, heavy burdened, come. Find rest for your soul. Your soul is your authentic self. It's your real self. It's who you really are, past the brands and the tattoos and the beard and the whatever you got on the outside. It's past all that. It's who you really are. And the real Jesus wants to meet with the real you. And the real me. He wants to meet us there and help us and heal us and continue and, and, and carry us as we continue this journey. So we're going to take some time now. Um, the guys are going to come up and just play in the, in the background, but we've got communion set up on the, on the, on the front and on the sides. And, and here's what I'd love us to do. I'd, I'd love us just to, you know, take, get groups three, kind of three or so, three to five, he so says, as, as these guys play, I'll pray for us, but I'd, I'd love it if you would come and you would just take bread and, and take wine and, and just go break up and, and, and just talk about, about what's really going on. Just check in. There's no need to pretend. We, we know what it's like. Check in. Hey, man, I, I need this. I need this from Jesus. And just speak the gospel over each other and pray for one another. And celebrate Jesus who suffered in your place. Jesus, we come to you with our tired and thirsty souls. We come to the fountainhead of grace, the broken body and the shed blood. We come to the risen Jesus who reigns. Thank God you're sovereign. You're in control. One day you are coming back. You will wipe every tear. There will be hurt no more, pain. One day, this will all be over, one day. Thank you, God, until then. You intercede for us. You care for us. You watch over us. You love us. And so we come now, confessing our doubts and our fears, confessing for some of us that we've tried to build a compound around our souls and our lives to keep us out of suffering, that we've, some of us have shut down doing good because We've tried, and we've tried to love, help, and help people, but we've been hurt too many times. Some of us are taking our souls, thirsty as they are, to poisoned wells. We come to you. We come to you as we come to one another. We say, help us, Jesus. Help us last. We want to make it, Lord. If you don't tarry, take us home first. We want to grow old together. We don't want to grow old getting going to conferences together. We want to grow old making much of you together, loving each other, loving you, loving others. Help us, God. Protect us, Lord. 
Thank you that you're not running away from our mess, that you're running to it. Any prompting we feel now to be honest or to come forward is, a, is you running to us. So we thank you, Jesus, for moments like this. We can experience your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a few minutes, folks. There's communion set up around the front. Come grab it. Take it back, groups of three to five. Spend some time ministering to one another.